Well, good morning. Welcome to Awakening. Uh, my name is Roland. So excited. I'm grateful that you would spend part of your Thanksgiving weekend here with us uh, and just get to gather with us this morning. I think it's a privilege to get to speak to you guys today. Uh, like Ryan said when he was rambling, if he caught any of what he said, we are at the end of a two-part series called Presence. Last week, a really good friend and uh, Ryan's sister, Annie Skandarian, talked to us about what does it look like to be present with people in the midst of a very busy and hurried life and the power of presence. And this week, I want to talk about what does it look like in a very distracted world with distractions all around us, what does it look like to be present with God? But before we go any further, since I'm not here all the time, I'd love to just introduce myself a little bit. Uh, my name is Roland, like I said. I am part of the team here at Awakening. I am currently, yeah, woo, awesome team, all-star team. I am currently our youth director. Got a few fans. Um, and it's kind of a new thing for me. I came on the team this past summer, and if you've journeyed with us, uh, you'd probably know or notice that student ministries officially hasn't really gotten too much going on until recently. So it's been a really fun time uh, to watch this ministry grow, our ministry to junior high and high school students, not just grow in number, but watch students grow in health and in maturity, and for myself to grow along with them. Uh, it's been really fun. And if you haven't seen any miracles lately and you need like evidence of God, I think come on any given Sunday and see those 10, 15 students, teenagers, excited and want to be at church. Like if, if that's not evidence for God, I don't know what is. I don't know where else you can find students excited to be at church. And it's just really fun to be a part of. Um, and I guess one real quick story to kind of give a litmus test or a barometer on what's going on is over the summer, uh, one of our we had this movie night. And one of our students, last second, got a fever. And she got sick. Um, so fast forward, she couldn't make it, and all the, the students and the leaders pack into the awakening office, where it's super hot over the summer, bad idea, I learned. <laughs> um, popped in the Avengers, started watching, and I looked over, and I see one of the students that was there with her phone like this, and I was like, what is happening right now? And I looked over, and I realized we were FaceTiming this student that was at home, sick. <laughs> And mind you, I, I get that we can live stream and do stuff like that, but technology's not that good yet. Like, she wasn't uh, FaceTiming us so she could watch the Avengers. Like, that's not a very optimal way to watch a movie. A screen behind a screen behind a screen, whatever. No, she was with us. She was FaceTiming with us because that's where her friends were. That's where her community was. Because this group of people that's so committed to, to knowing Jesus and following him and seeing what that would be like, and since they're watching the Avengers, she wanted to be there too. And these stories just excite me about what's going on. And it reminds me, what I tell our leaders all the time, the most important person in someone's life is someone that's there. And it just shows the importance and uh, the values we have on being present with people and, it like, and what, it, what being simply present can do for someone. Which is terrible, because for me, I'm one of the worst people at that. Like, all the, the power of presence that Annie was talking about last week, like, I can be one of the worst people at that. And I have an example. I was going through my online diary the other day, my Twitter page, <laughs> and I scrolled back far enough to find a tweet that said something like this. I was biking home, and I almost got hit by a car, five exclamation points. Dot, 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 the car was already parked. 
grinning sweat drop emoji. <laughs> I have evidence, as you can see. Follow me on Twitter, at Roland Jimenez. <laughs> Little backstory, kind of get an idea of what was going on. I was biking home. I was in college. I was biking home from the coffee shop I was working at. It was the thick of midterms or finals. I can't remember which. And I was just already, like, not in the zone. I was absent. I was biking home and, like, thinking about how much I had to do, how much I procrastinated on, if I'm going to be honest with you guys. <laughs> and at the same time, I was texting one of my roommates about rent or something. So biking, mine somewhere else, eyes down here. And, like, last second, I get just a real quick glimpse of this parked car that I just barely get to pull the brakes on and narrowly miss. And that's where I became a changed man. <laughs> Promised I would never, ever bike and tweet again. <laughs> or text, sorry. But the whole point of that is, is that's the rhythm of my life usually, is that I can be in one moment, but already thinking of the next. Or in one conversation, but really be doing something else with my brain. And that's often the rhythm of our lives. I know that's true for me. That tweet says it all. Except in one time, for me, in my life, is Thanksgiving. I absolutely love Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving, for my mom's side of the family, is a huge deal. Uh, this past week, I got to go home down to Ventura, where the rest of my mom's side of the family always goes towards the end of November. And the 20 plus of us packed ourselves into my mom's three-bedroom house. People sleeping on couches, people sleeping on what was my bed, and I thought was my bed forever. Uh, I got to sleep on the floor one night. So that, that's the kind of room that's going on. That's how many people we're packing. People are like staying in, ho or some of our family in hotels, because like, there's no vacancies at the Jimenez household. Um, that's how big of a deal it is. And I love Thanksgiving, because this is kind of a break for me in that rhythm is it's a time where I get to just be present with my family, my big Filipino family. A lot of people ask, like, oh, what, what, what do you guys eat at Thanksgiving? Like, what do Filipinos do? And I'm like, well, we eat. <laughs> we do what you do. <laughs> um, but yes, we do have a turkey, mostly just so we can say it's Thanksgiving. But we also have some really awesome things like lumpia and pancit and longanisa. Do you know that one? That's my favorite. Um, but if you don't know what any of those things are, I'd love for you to, like, if anything, go make a friend, a Filipino friend, <laughs> meet their family, get to know their parents, they'll invite you to the next Filipino gathering party, all that food will be there, I promise, and you will get to enjoy some of the pleasures of life that you're missing out on. And that's what I love. I just love not just the food, but getting to hang out, like wrapping those lumpia wrappers, which is like this egg roll, getting to talk around the table as we do that. Uh, we operate on this thing called Filipino time, <laughs> where if we say we're going on a hike at 7, it means we're going at 8. Or if Thanksgiving's an early dinner this year, hopefully we'll start at 7. You know, things like that. That's Filipino time. But it's just a, a nice picture of what it's like to be present, to just get to enjoy the people you enjoy being with. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what, regardless of what your Thanksgiving was like this past year, isn't that what you would wanted it to be? To get to just enjoy and be in the presence of the people that you love? And I find it so crazy, so interesting that we can, in a, just like that, 
lose that. That right after Thanksgiving dinner, we're out shopping, looking for these crazy deals, distracted by the bargains that we can get. Or that we're so quick about trying to get the Christmas tree up and the lights in the house and all that. Or that now that Thanksgiving over, it's final season, and you find all the students, their nose in a book because they're cramming. And I guarantee you they procrastinate at least a little bit. <laughs> that you're trying to get ahead and work that way Christmas season, or the, day, the time Christmas comes, won't be so frantic. It, and it's crazy to me that we could go from this moment, at least in my life, and so quickly lose that, lose the ability to be present. And I think this is something that we bring into our relationship with God. Like Ryan said, often we go into this season and we're so hurried. So many things are going on. Parties everywhere, like the Christmas ones. <laughs> and we're so busy trying to get the house to look nice. We're busy shopping for our relatives and our friends and whatever. But we lose the ability to be present with the people that we love and especially with God in this season. And that's incredible to me. And you see... This isn't just some modern-day problem. This isn't just an iPhone generation problem. This isn't a millennial problem. This isn't even just a Silicon Valley problem, to be distracted by so many things that we lose the ability to be present, present with people and present with God. That we're so distracted by trying to look a certain way or be a certain way or obtain a certain thing, that instead of being, that we are distracted from God, instead of being distracted by God. And God knew that, that this isn't just some problem that we deal with right now, but it's a problem that's been thousands of years old. It's a human problem. And God knew that when he gave us this story, this story in the Bible, where I want to lead us to today. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to open it up to Exodus chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. And we're going to pick it up with a man named Moses at Mount Horeb. And a little context on what's going on. Um, the Israelite people, God's people, the Hebrews, were in captivity in Egypt. And there was a ruler named Pharaoh, and he disliked this people. He absolutely hated them. He enslaved them. And Moses, being one of those Hebrew people, one day saw an Egyptian assaulting one of his Hebrew brothers. So Moses got up to defend him and ends up fatally assaulting that man. And because of that incident, he has to flee to this place called Midian, where he's been for 40 years. And that's where we pick up this story. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked. And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his, hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Life changed, right? Now, I love this story because right off the bat, we see Moses 
is leading his flock to the west side of the wilderness. So in some translations, it says that he was on the far west side of the wilderness. Like he wasn't just satisfied being lost. He wanted to be really lost on the far side of being lost. And what's significant about this is that we remember in the previous book about this place called the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were, where they were perfectly in the presence of God, where they got to enjoy being with him and him enjoy being with them until sin entered into the world. And what happens? They are banished east of Eden. And here we are, and you find one of God's men making his way towards the direction west where the garden was. And I think that's really significant because that says a lot about us. We are made for intimacy. There is this yearning that we have for a relationship and for that relationship to be with God. There's something inside of us in our bones, in our DNA, that wants to go back to where God's presence was, going west. I don't know if you recognize that in yourself yet or in the busyness, that there's something more that in the middle of doing this or that, in the middle of your pursuits, that there's just not enough, that there's something more that you're yearning for. And I love when this happens, when God shows up in a burning bush, because this was Moses' nine to five. He was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And if it were me in this situation, if, if God had tried to interrupt me or distract me in the middle of, in the middle of my workday, I probably would have missed it. I probably would have had my head down or just chugging straight forward and missed it. Because when I'm not looking for God, I'm not expecting for him to show up. But I love that God shows us right here that he wants to meet us not just on Sunday, but on Monday as well. That he wants to show up in the ordinary, the mundane, the, the, the everyday of our lives. And he often shows up in a way we don't expect it. There's nothing special about this day, about Moses tending the flock this day. He, he was probably doing this for 40 years without having met the presence of God. He'd been so accustomed to doing this everyday task without the presence of God until today. And I just wonder if, if that's what you're like, if that's what I'm like. If, if we're so used to, to going after our pursuits that we let it let it rob us of the presence of God. That we miss his presence because we usually expect it in a certain way. That one famous theologian says, like, we expect God to come through the front door, but he wants to come through the, to the side, or the back. Because God shows up when he was doing the same job. He'd been, right, 40 years. He was at his office. He was on his way to the library. He was making his daily commute. He was buying gifts and decorating the Christmas tree to make a Hallmark Christmas. And I just wondered, what would happen if he wasn't paying attention? If he was too distracted by his iPhone, or he was too busy responding to emails, or writing his essays to stop and ponder, or thought that it wasn't important, or that it wasn't a priority. Like I see him being so busy that Monday comes around, and he has to call his buddies like, hey, 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 I, I can't make it to Monday Night Football tonight because father-in-law is really getting on me on getting these sheep reports in. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, are you so consumed with your pursuits 
that you allow it to rob you of God's presence in the everyday, in the mundane. Moses was willing to pay attention to his curiosities. We see that he didn't miss it. The text says he turned aside to see this great sight. Like he was leading, leading little Bo Peep and the rest of the sheep, and he turned aside. He, he changed his course. He had this plan, and then he strayed from it. He was, he was willing to change his mind. He took a moment to pause and turned aside. And that's so hard for me, especially in the Silicon Valley. I want to pack my schedule that if something else comes up, I don't want to turn aside. I'm too busy to, to have any margin in my life to stop and pause and just listen to my curiosities, my yearnings for God to be in his presence. Because being present with God, it takes two things. It takes a, a seeing and a recognizing and sitting in that. And what I've learned is there's never a good time for any of us where we say, this will be a good time. That I'll, this is when I'll set. A lot of us say after finals, after tax season, when the kids get older, when work starts to slow down. And that's when we expect for God to show up. But we see right here that God wants to show up in the midst of all that, in the middle of all that. And we shift to who God is. When the, when the bush started to burn, Moses shifted to what God was doing. He shifted to his plans. And it reminds me of just one story over the summer. Uh, my roommate Nick and I wanted to help out a friend and help him move from California to Florida. And not like the west side of Florida, but like that little peninsula part on the east side where you see the beach the farthest part of Florida you could imagine. So they packed up this 26-foot-long truck, and it was like, hey, like, you're already driving this thing. Why don't we put a trailer on it? And we could tow one of his cars. I'm like, great idea, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this thing packed, cars on the back, and we toss a couple of 20-something-year-olds the set of keys. Like, that's a great idea. <laughs> And we thought we knew what we were doing. We had these Airbnbs planned out. We mapped out how, when we would stop, how many miles we would go each day. And then we started driving. <laughs> day one, we leave around 2 p.m. from San Jose. And we didn't get into San Bernardino until close to 2 a.m. All right, we're like, okay, day two will go better. Day two, we make it into New Mexico. We're like, oh, man, like, we're going a little slower than we thought. I guess, like, this thing can't go 90 miles an hour. <laughs> Make it into New Mexico. 20 miles in, we blow a tire. Stranded for the night. Had to rearrange all our Airbnbs. Day three happens, like, all right, enough's enough. We got this. We're going to leave at 7 a.m., and at our next destination, we're going to get there with plenty of time. We're going to chill. We're going to hang out. That didn't happen. Left at 7.05, slept in a little bit. <laughs> and we didn't get into our next destination until 1 a.m. We, we, there's one moment in that drive where we saw this sign, and it was really foggy out, and a sign that says, no trucks allowed. And you're like, should we do it? 
we did it. <laughs> so that added some more time. And this was excruciating. This was terrible. I expected it to be easy because we were helping a friend out. It was rough. And a burning bush moment for me happened in Mississippi. Yes, I learned my lesson late, if you know the geography of the U.S. <laughs> at a truck stop in Mississippi, just found myself at the end of myself, so burned out, so exhausted, that, that this was just terrible. This was a burning bush moment for me. And in Mississippi, at this Love's truck stop, I just stopped. I said, God, I just want to be with you right now. Can I sit in your presence? So I opened up my Bible, got my journal out, started to write, think about what was going on, how God was working, teaching me in the midst of all this. See, I wasn't expecting for God to show up in this way, but he did. And when I took that moment to pause in Mississippi, it changed the rest of the trip. Now, the rest of the trip didn't go easier. <laughs> we left from there, and we hit some, a lot of rain, the most rain I had ever seen in my very young life. <laughs> like, California rain is pleasant in the southeast. Uh, when I was driving, I lost control of the trailer for a little bit. Like, it started to swerve behind me. Scared me half to death. And if that wasn't enough, at the finish line, 40 miles out, maybe even a little less, we got a flat tire. <laughs> Circumstances didn't change. Things actually didn't get easier. But what did happen was the presence of God changed my perspective. That I knew that I could trust in God, that he was going to take care of me, that I could find comfort in the midst of the pain that even though it was raining, at least we missed the flash flooding in Louisiana. That when the, we lost control of the trailer, at least there wasn't that many cars on the road, and it was, it was safe. And when we got that flat tire, at least we got that flat tire right next to a tire shop that could get us fixed and on the way. See, God wants to be with us. He wants us to be with him. That's the hope of Christianity. That's the hope of Christmas, that Jesus... Emmanuel, the name that means God with us, has made a way that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that we would have life to the full, because life makes the most sense in the presence of God. And that life to the full is a life in a relationship with God, in intimacy. So then, all that to say, how do we recognize God's presence then? And it's important, yes, it's very important to read your Bibles, and God will show up that way, to, to come to church and hear great teaching and know about the characteristics of God and to, and to know more. But do you know who God is? Like, do you take those things and bring it before him, wrestle with him, tell him what's hard for you and those things about his characteristics? What brings you so much joy and passion? Do you get to have that conversation with him? to sit and pause and turn aside and bring all this to him, this stuff that we know, and to actually know him. I, I, I think of it like this. Do we have any Dubs fans in the building? Steph Curry, anybody? 
few of you, okay. Well, I love Steph Curry. I absolutely love Steph Curry. And I know a lot about Steph Curry. I know that he's listed at six foot three, 190 pounds, like soaking wet, that he uh, went to Davidson, was a Davidson Wildcat, that he has two, dollar, two daughters, Ryan and Riley, that he's averaging almost 23 points per game for his career, um, that he's married to his wife, Aisha, that his dad, Del Curry, played in the NBA and wore the number 30 like Steph. Could go on and on. The, that Steph's real name is Wardell Curry II. Fun fact, impress your friends. <laughs> that, uh, that Aisha and Steph met in youth group when they were teenagers. So get involved with Awakening Youth. <laughs> Might meet your future spouse. I could list all these things about Steph Curry, right? But once I show up at his house, what's going to happen? When I knock on his door, a couple things might happen. (laughs) (laughs) I could spit all these things out, and he might be a little creeped out. (laughs) The second, he's he's not going to know who I am. And I think that's what we do with God. We know his stat card. We know his baseball card. We know all these facts about him. But do we take the time to get to know him, to sit in his presence, that his presence with us in the middle of everything, in the mundane and the ordinary, that he's there, that his sheer presence can change us. So how do we recognize the presence of God? Jesus says, my sheep will know my voice. And I think it takes an attentiveness to his working, to how he created everything, that he sustains life, that he knows every hair on your head. That's easier for some of you. True story. (laughs) That his thoughts for you outnumber the sands of the sea. Like, this is the God that wants you to be with him, that has made a way for you, that sent his son, that we can enjoy his presence because that's when life makes the most sense. And his sheer presence changes everything. How do you know when you get in the presence of God? Is because simply sitting there will change everything everything, that you can find peace in the midst of chaos. You can find hope in the middle of pain, that in the middle of suffering, there's a fullness of joy at his presence. And Moses understood this, so how did he respond? He said, here I am. Like he, was, he knew who was there, who was greeting him the second he turned aside to sit said, here I am. He wanted to be there with God. That's the presence of God. We want to be there. We want to be back to where he is. Have you ever ever been on a bad date where the other person doesn't want to be there? Okay, me too, but (laughs) (laughs) but that's not what it's like in the presence of God. You want to be there. I think of the first time I had coffee. I was seven years old. It was a big moment for me. Ran downstairs with my little legs, smelled the coffee that my dad made. Like, that smells incredible. Today's the day. And I was like, Dad, can I try some coffee? And I was like, go for it. I tasted it, and I hated it. I was like, how could something that smells so good taste so terrible? 
So for another like 10, 11 years, I never drank coffee again. Until one day in college, went and got coffee with a friend. And if you know anything about me, I love really good coffee now. And I got to taste, this might sound a little nerdy, like Arabica, single origin, Ethiopian, lightly roasted, not, but a, like, not too light, but definitely not too dark coffee, and it changed everything. Like, I couldn't go back to anything else. Like, this is what coffee is supposed to taste like. This is what it's supposed to be like. I'm sure you've had moments like that. My roommate flew back from Thanksgiving this past weekend. He said he got to fly first class. Once you fly first class, I bet you don't want to sit anywhere else on the plane. <laughs> Maybe it's sitting courtside at a basketball game. Like, these things, once you experience these things, once you know how the way it's supposed to be, you're ruined. And it, like, you know that it shouldn't be any other way, that that's what it's supposed to be like. Like, you're sitting on the back of the airplane like, I belong over there. <laughs> I'm going to go sit over there now. See, Moses understood that, that the presence of God changed everything for him. He wanted intimacy with him. He wanted to continue to cultivate that with him. So how do we cultivate that for ourselves? And there's three things that I try to do. Uh, the first is I meet with a friend each week, and all we do is talk about how God's working in our lives. And what that does is it, it forces me to look for the presence of God in my day-to-day, in that past week. It'd be so embarrassing if I showed up and had nothing to share, because God wants to show up. We just need to be, pay attention. Uh, the second is I journal, not on Twitter anymore. <laughs> I journal because it forces me to slow down. I'm so fast-paced, like, it's so hard for me to sit still that when I journal, though, that's me forcing myself to slow down, to ponder how God's working, to share with him the things that I'm going through, to be intimate with him. And I love how this one pastor said to a bunch of college students talking about technology, he said, speed is the enemy of intimacy. Like a boat, the faster you go, the more on the surface you'll be. But the slower you are, the deeper you can sink into the water. So that's what journaling does for me. It forces me to slow down and be intimate with God. And the last thing is this concept Ryan and I have been talking about is first and last. That what we do to start our day and what we do to end our day really changes everything. It really matters. If you wake up, get on your phone, and start checking emails, all of a sudden you're in a frantic pace. There's all these things that you have to do. And at the end of the day, you're on Instagram comparing your life with the things you wished it looked like. You're setting yourself up pretty poorly to experience God in the middle of that. So I'd be mindful of the things that I do to start and end my day. Why do I do all these things? Right? It's because we live far too distracted lives. I live a far too distracted life. That all of our pursuits often rob us of the presence of God that like the Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh, God wants to free us from that. We are enslaved to all these distractions around us more often than not. And God wants to free us from that, to take off those shackles, to experience him, to now call him king, to say, whatever you say goes, because in your presence is freedom and joy. And that we can even call him friend, that he calls us friend that we could sit with him, have a conversation with him, 
Tell them what's going on. Share some of the hard things. Share some of the joyous things. And I'd love to start to invite the band up, and I'll close with this. Imagine what it could be like if you lived a life fully present with God. Imagine the way it would change how you do your every day. The, the things that you're struggling with. How because you know the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is with you. How would that change? Imagine if we were a community that often spent time in God's presence. How would that change the way we impact the Silicon Valley, the world, this generation even? What would that look like? I just imagine sometimes what it could be like if we live fully present with God. Jesus, thank you for this moment to pause, uh, to sit with your word, to know that the words become flesh, that because of Jesus we have access to you, that we can sit in your presence. Uh, God, I pray for this next season of life with all these things going on, God, would you help us to slow down? Would our pursuits not rob us of your presence? Would we not be distracted from you, but by you? Thank you, God, that we can ask you these things. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that this week we would learn to turn aside to see those burning bush moments and continue to be changed by your presence. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.